0: This morning we turn in God's inspired word to Romans chapter 8, one of the most beautiful chapters in the Bible. Though somewhat lengthy, we're going to read the entire chapter this morning, Romans 8, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. And not only they, but ourselves also, which have the firstfruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. For we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope, for what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience wait for it. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered, and He that searcheth the hearts, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This morning I call your attention to the verses 19 through 22 of Romans 8. For we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, we're just one week into a new year, and the days continue to go by with exceeding speed. We don't know what the future holds. We know God holds the future. But God also points us in his word to many reasons we have to live in hope. And One of those reasons we quite easily overlook, yet it surrounds us daily, God's creation. So this morning, I ask you to consider with me this rather peculiar perspective given us in Romans 8, verses 19 through 22, as God's creation teaches us to live in hope. You notice that this text, beginning with verse 19, is connected to verse 18 by that little connecting word for. In verse 18, the apostle had spoken of the sufferings of this present time. Those sufferings take on many different forms. They occur at many different times. They are all sufferings with Christ and for his sake in the midst of this world. Those sufferings, as the Apostle explained, are unavoidable in the way to glory. Another way to glory there is not. But those sufferings, no matter how severe and painful, are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us when Christ returns. That's what we may look forward to. So great is that glory. The glory is everlasting. While suffering in comparison with that glory is but for a moment. The glory is unlimited. The suffering, no matter how great it is sometimes, is always limited. That glory will not be mixed with darkness and sorrow. It will be pure joy. The suffering is always mixed. Even in the most severe sufferings, there are yet moments of joy when the children of God experience the blessedness of of their Savior's presence and love, and when they have a very clear consciousness of God's upholding them in his love and tender mercies, but that glory will be perfect. Pure, enjoyable, unhindered fellowship with our God. And as the apostle considered that glory, his soul was filled with the sense of incomprehensible splendor. And God moved him to write that we might also receive a sense of that glory. The glory of God that shall be revealed in Jesus Christ must be the object of our hope as we make our way through the years of our earthly sojourn. And The glory which is set before us is worthy of our focus, as is evident from the words of the text we consider this morning. You may depend upon it that the glory that awaits us is very great indeed, because the whole creation waits for it with earnest expectation. So unlimited is that glory, it will embrace the whole creation. That's Romans 8, verses 19 through 22. As we consider this text for a little while this morning and the magnificence of the glory that shall be revealed in the coming of our Lord Jesus, may the Spirit of Christ rekindle within us a flame of the living hope for that coming complete redemption. I call your attention to the waiting creature. We notice, first of all, who he is, secondly, what he waits for, and finally, why he waits. The creature, for the earnest expectation of the creature, waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. What is that creature, that waiting creature? that term translated creature in verse 19 is the very same word translated in verse 22 as creation the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now the word has reference to the act of creating and therefore by natural transition meant to came to mean that which is created. Sometimes, and especially when connected with the adjective all or whole, it signifies the entire created universe. refers to the created order of things. Sometimes the same word is restricted to one particular class of creation. It might have reference simply to men. An example is seen in in Mark 16, verse 15, where Jesus gave his disciples the great commission, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. So what is the identity of the creature in Romans 8? If only we follow the proper way of interpreting scripture and determine the concept creature On the basis of the text, we are given a clear and concise answer to the question, who or what this creature is. The apostle says it's the whole creation. Now, if we are to make any limitations, therefore, on what that whole creation involves, then the text itself has to determine that limitation. We mustn't exclude anything that's not excluded by the text. So when you look at the text, you see that it does indeed limit the concept of the creature. It eliminates several elements of the creation. In the first place, the context excludes the sons of God themselves because it makes the contrast Between the creature and the sons of God. In verse 23, the apostle distinguishes the two. Not only they, but ourselves also, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. Even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our bodies. So the apostle is distinguishing. The children of God, believers in Christ Jesus, from the rest of this creature, the creation. So what we have left then is the whole creation except the children of God. But the text excludes more. It also eliminates the wicked. For it is said of this creature that it waits and longs for the manifestation of the sons of God, that it shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. Well, that can never be said of the wicked. They have no such desire. So neither the children of God nor the wicked are included in this concept of the creature. In the third place, it's also evident from the text that angels are counted out. The good angels are excluded because they are never subject to that bondage of corruption, as is the creature to whom Paul refers to here. And the evil angels are out again because... They have no such part in the glory that shall be revealed. So the creature is the whole creation outside of its rational creatures. It includes the entire brute creation in heaven and on earth. It refers to the heavenly bodies, sun, moon, and stars, the planets, and that as they stand related to this earth it includes the earth and all the elements contained in the ground the silver and gold the brass and iron all the precious stones diamonds sapphires as well as its oil and natural gas the creature includes the crops of the of the earth the trees and the flowers the plants and herbs And finally, it includes the animal world. This creature, this creation, with all its individual creatures, is waiting, the text says. The earnest expectation of this creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. So the whole creation is pictured here as one large creature that with uplifted head is looking, waiting, with outstretched neck, straining to get a glimpse of that for which it waits. Now the question is, how can this attitude of an irrational, inanimate creature be explained. It's plain that in the literal sense of the word, this kind of talk doesn't apply to the creation. Cannot be that the brute creation knows and is conscious of waiting for this this object. What we have here, people of God, is a figure of speech called personification that is when life and reason are ascribed to and irrational objects such as when we read in scripture of the trees rejoicing and the mountains and hills bursting into song and so on so here the whole creation waits with earnest expectation But it's incomplete merely to say that this is only a figure of speech, only personification. We mustn't deny the reality of what is conveyed here in this text. More must be added. That creation itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption. The whole creation shall partake of the salvation that is ours in Christ Jesus, who loved the world, the cosmos, John 3, verse 15. So the whole creation awaits the restoration that is intimately related to the revelation of the children of God. The creation itself is inseparably linked with with the children of God. So that the glory that is promised the sons of God implies the same for the whole creation. And I'll have more to say about that in my third point. But now we turn to the question, for what does the creation wait? The earnest expectation of the creature waits for the manifestation of the sons of God. That's the object for which it waits, for which it hopes. Now when the apostle speaks of the manifestation of the sons of God, the understanding is that they are indeed the sons of God, but they've not yet been revealed as such. Sons of God are hidden. The apostle speaks of you and me who are the children of the living God in Jesus Christ our Lord. We are sons by regeneration and because God has adopted us as his children and heirs. Even in his eternal counsel, he looked upon us, his children, adopted in Christ Jesus. He, we were the objects of his love from eternity. But that adoption had to be realized in time, in our lives. That adoption was realized in the cross. The sonship that we lost in Adam was restored in Christ. By the death of of God's only begotten Son, we who were in sin and death and corruption received from God the right of sonship. And this right was sealed in the resurrection and exaltation of our Lord Jesus Christ to God's right hand. But God not only adopted us as sons and gave us the right to be called his children and to live in his house and to enjoy his fellowship, he also realized that adoption and took us into his family by his irresistible grace, giving us to enjoy his covenant fellowship as our father. And that's the whole first section here of Romans chapter 8. He sent his Holy Spirit into our hearts and regenerated us so that we would know and enjoy that relationship to him, that covenant relationship. He called us out of darkness, the darkness of sin and corruption, into the liberty of the children of God. Made us his children, therefore, not just legally, but spiritually. But our sonship in many ways is still hidden. Don't misunderstand. That doesn't mean we can never tell who are the children of God. That must be manifest. The children of God must confess who they are It's your calling in mind to confess that we are the children of God and to manifest that in our walk, that's evident from all Scripture. And insofar as we confess that we are children of God and and show that in our walk, we manifest that we are the children of God. But that said, in this world, we don't become re. We aren't revealed in our true character as the children of God. And that's true from many perspectives when you consider this. From many points of view, we're not yet seen as God's children. The person simply walking by us on the street can't identify us as children of God. We look just like anyone else. In the first place, as children of God, we are not yet seen as those who are perfect in Christ Jesus. Sons of God are perfect in Christ. But because of our sinful natures, we're not yet seen in that perfection. Sin so cleaves to our thinking and willing and all our actions that we're still compelled to pray To God, be merciful to me, the sinner. In the second place, we're not yet revealed in our character of glory. Sons of God are glorious, they're partakers of heavenly glory. But that glory that God has given us is hidden by the image of the earthly. We look earthly as long as we are in this world. And we cannot be revealed in our full glory as sons of God until the Lord returns and gives us our resurrection bodies. In the third place, our sonship is hidden from the viewpoint of life and death. The life of the sons of God is everlasting life. They can never die. As the Lord Jesus expressed to Martha on the occasion of the death of Lazarus, he that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? But that everlasting life that is ours certainly is not yet seen. I have seen much death both of the righteous and of unbelievers. And in the casket, you can't tell them apart. Our sonship, with its life everlasting, is hidden from that point of view. Still more, our sonship is hidden from the viewpoint of our position of dominion and power and over all things. The sons of God possess all things, says the scripture. We have all things in Christ, to whom is given all power in heaven and on earth. All is yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Can you see that with these earthly eyes? With few exceptions... The things of this world, the power and positions of honor and wealth, are in the hands of the wicked. So much is that the case that it becomes more and more difficult even to run a business or to hold a job without compromising the truth of God and faith in Christ Jesus. And that will become much worse. when you look at the position and the condition of the sons of God in this world, from an outward point of view, there seems to be every reason to say that God would be ashamed of such sons in their sinful condition and lowly state and lack of accomplishment. Again, I say from an earthly perspective, Nevertheless, the text says the time shall come when they shall be revealed as the sons of the living God. There's a cover over us presently that hides us and causes our perfection and our glory to be invisible before the eyes of the whole world. But in that great day of days, God is going to remove that cover. That's what we have to look forward to. And another new year only draws us closer to that wonderful event. Sin shall be replaced by perfection so that we shall live in perfect holiness and righteousness to the glory of our Redeemer and in his fellowship forevermore. The image of the earthly shall be swallowed by the heavenly so that in all our nature. We shall finally and forever reveal the glory of God's everlasting tabernacle. Before all men, we shall look like Christ. The appearance of death shall be removed. It will become manifest that we do indeed possess all things. And for this manifestation of the sons of God, The creature is waiting, groaning with longing to see that glory. That same glory the apostle calls the glorious liberty of the children of God. We read in verse 21, because the creature itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For that, the creature waits. Literally, we read in this text that the creation shall be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the liberty of the glory of God's children. What is that liberty? Well, for one thing, the glory of the children of God shall be glorious. The Apostle says, It shall be a glory that shall become manifest from within. That glory is not something merely that will be seen all around them, it will be seen in them. It will be nothing less than the glory of God Himself that will be revealed in our whole being. For it pleased God according to His sovereign counsel to make his children like unto himself in the highest possible sense, in goodness, in righteousness, in holiness, and truth. And the radiation of this heavenly image of God, which shall constitute our very nature, reflecting itself in soul and body, and all the manifestation of our life, shall be established when our Lord returns. That glory is characterized by liberty. Liberty. Liberty, very simply, is the freedom to do the will of God. The freedom to will and to do the will of God. Liberty will be that state in which we freely submit ourselves to the will of God and serve him. And that liberty is characteristic of the glory which God shall bestow upon his children in Christ. That liberty is difficult for us to comprehend now. At least it is for me. To will and to do perfectly the will of God? What glory that shall be. With our whole being, we will love the Lord our God and perfectly know and accomplish his will. And that state of liberty will be ours forever forever. Never will we be able to will anything else anymore. Because Christ will be our all in all, the eternal ground and source of our freedom and glory. For that liberty, for that glory, the creation waits, according to this word of God in Romans 8. Why? Why? When we look for the reason for the creation's involvement in waiting for the revelation of the sons of God, we notice two things. First, the creature is made subject to vanity and is in the bondage of corruption. And secondly, that creature is to be delivered from that bondage and is to partake of the glory that belongs to the children of God. First, the creature is subject to vanity. The one who subjected the creature to vanity is God. And we read about that in Genesis 3. The reason was man's fall into sin. Man's sin had a profound effect upon the creation. In fact, we can't even comprehend today the effect that the fall had upon the creation. We look at all the difficulties we might face in this present creation. And we must realize that in that time period between Adam's fall and the flood things were much much more difficult. In that time period between the fall and the flood man could barely eke out a daily existence so that when God gave the father Lamech, his son Noah, he named him Noah, rest or comfort, for the comfort God will give us concerning the toil of our hands in this creation. Man didn't put that creation into that subjection god did god by cursing the ground and making the whole creation the stage for the development of the human race under sin and death place the whole creation in subjection to vanity and it can be no other way For God created all things to serve man in order that man might serve God. The heavenly bodies, the plant world, the animals, all the elements in in the ground had as their purpose to serve man in order that man might serve God. And man refused to serve God. And because the creature stands in the service of man, and man has fallen away from God and refuses to serve him, all the existence and activity of the creature is vain, empty. Job summarized it this way in Job 14, verses 18 and 19. Surely the mountain falling cometh to naught. The rock is removed out of his place. The waters wear the stones. Thou washest away the things which grow out of the dust of the earth, and thou destroyest the hope of man. But not only is the creature made subject to vanity. It's also made subject to corruption. The whole creation is in the bondage of corruption because of its connection with man. In the first place, the creation itself is corruptible as is evident from all the devastation and destruction and death in the world. But in the second place, the creation serves dying man. And therefore creation, everything, stands in the service of death. When the tree bears its fruit for man, brings forth corruption unto death. When our faucets deliver us water, it's full of corruption. Water has to be treated in order for us even to drink it. And as the sin of man increases and develops, the creation increasingly serves up death. That's according to God's purpose. Man curses and desecrates God's creation. And God's creation serves to kill man. And in that bondage of corruption, the creation groans. Verse 22, for we knoweth that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. The liberty of that creation is inseparably connected with the revelation of the children of God. And for that revelation, the creation groans and travails We thank God for the measure of moisture that we've seen in the past few weeks here, especially given the drought, how dry it's been the past couple years, I understand. We thank God for that moisture. But I tell you, people of God, In this year, you are going to continue to see the groaning and travailing of this present creation. But what you must see in that groaning and travailing is the hope. Do you see it? The creation rejoices in the coming of a new day because the creature itself is to be delivered. And that deliverance is all the closer with every passing moment of time. The creation is to be delivered from that bondage and is to partake of the glory that belongs to God's children. So the groans and the travails are not death pangs, they're birth pains. The creation waiting for that tremendous glory that awaits us, that shall come by God's purifying, flaming handiwork, now groans like a woman in travail until it shall be delivered groans even now. Because the birth of the new order of things has not yet taken place, and the hope has not yet been satisfied. The whole creation groans for that day. And the grand symphony of sighs that arises from the creation will not be in vain because It will bring forth a joyful and blessed fruit. The creature also shall partake of the liberty of the glory of God's children. When God's children shall shine forth in all their glory, in the liberty of their glory... And shall occupy their varied positions in God's house as prophets, priests, and kings under God. Then God shall give to those children, to us, the new creation. The new heavens and the new earth. With new trees and new plants and new animals. And he shall submit that whole creation to us. That we might glorify our Creator Redeemer. That's the all comprehensive nature of God's covenant. That's the meaning of the rainbow. If you go back to Genesis 6 through 9, the whole creation was bound up with man from the beginning. Now since the fall, that creature world with its ultimate destiny is not bound up with the ungodly who shall perish in hell. It's still bound up with the children of God and their coming revelation of glory in heaven. That was God's promise to Noah in Genesis 9 verse 12. That's where God revealed to us that his glorious covenant embraces not only his elect race, but it embraces the whole creation. And of this all-comprehensive nature of the covenant, a covenant that even embraces his creation, the rainbow is displayed as a sign in the clouds. So as we look forward Even to this year, 2023, watch for the coming of our Lord. I don't mean to imply that he's going to return in the clouds of heaven this year. It's not at all what I mean. We don't know the day nor the hour, but Christ is coming even now. He's on his way. Watch for that coming. Watch the unfolding of the signs of his coming. In many ways our suffering shall increase, but be not afraid. For the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us, and for which the whole creation Waits with outstretched neck. Be not dismayed. Faithful children of God, God's goodness indeed is over all his creatures. The ungodly have their existence now in the midst of the manifestations of God's goodness. But they have no part with it. The wicked themselves are not the objects of God's goodness. The wrath of God abides upon them. And them God shall surely destroy. Be faithful, children of God. To you who are his children, he will give the crown of life. For it's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For timeless eternity. Amen. Gracious Father, we give thanks to Thee that we may look around the creation that surrounds us and be reminded of the hope that awaits us. We are sorry that we have so often failed to see the wonder of thy grace in its tremendous breadth and depth. Continue to teach us by thy word. Continue, Father, to draw us closer to thee. and Lead us to that day when we together with thy whole church enjoys that unspeakable glory that now awaits us for Jesus sake amen